I invite you to turn in your Bible with me to Isaiah chapter 43 for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading verses 1 to 13. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 717. So, the next several weeks leading up to Christmas Day, we're going to look at the names given to Jesus. And in the Catechism, Lord's Day 11, 12, 13, and 14 actually speak to some of the names of Jesus that are found in the Apostles' Creed. For example, this morning we look at why is Jesus called Savior? Uh, next week, why is he called Christ the Anointed One? Lord's Day 13, why is he called the Only Begotten Son, our Lord? And then on Christmas Day, why is his holy conception birth important. So Christmas Day really is why Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And how all those names of Christ come together in that one birth of the one Savior, Christ and Lord. And so this morning we ask the question, who is the only Savior? Who is the only Savior who saves us from our pitiable and sinful condition before a holy, just, perfect God? And so we're going to look at Isaiah 43 this morning. Let us now hear God's word. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the peoples who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God. Also henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. Thus far the reading of God's holy word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. 
Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask the question, who is the only Savior? Who is the only Savior? In Lord's Day 11, question and answer 29, it's found on page 212 in the Forms and Prayers book. The question asks, why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because he saves us from our sins and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Salvation is found in no one but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we look into this name, Savior? Why do we need a Savior? Well, we'll look into that in this sermon. But have you considered the the thoughts or the biblical truth that we need a Savior because God has to save us from God? God the Son has to save us from the wrath of God the Father. And we see the theme of this throughout Isaiah, where God's wrath will be poured out upon all unrighteousness, unbelief, all ungodliness. 750 years before the coming of Christ, approximately, Isaiah prophesies of a time when the suffering servant, the servant of the Lord, the true Israelite, the faithful Israelite, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come to save us from that very judgment proclaimed by Isaiah the prophet. Jesus is the servant of the Lord. God reveals his plan, albeit very dimly in Isaiah, but comes to full fruition in the Gospels and in the New Testament Scriptures. We see a cycle in Isaiah, especially chapters 40 to 66. And the cycle is where the Lord grieves of Israel's unrighteousness and idolatry and idol worship. But he provides comfort and peace and hope in the promise of the coming of Emmanuel who will be God with us, Isaiah 7.14. Of the one who will be called mighty God, Isaiah chapter 9. Throughout Isaiah, he's always foreshadowing the one who will come. Even though the Lord grieves the sin of Israel, grieves this, the, the evil of the nations, both Jew and Gentile, the Lord grieves. He's pointing the people to the promise. He's saying, besides me, there is no Savior to save you from your dire predicament. And here's another case in Isaiah 42, the previous chapter. The Lord grieves towards the end of the, uh, the chapter, grieves their sinful condition and rebukes them for their spiritual blindness and deafness to the law of God. They hear, but do not have ears to hear. That's why I pray that so often. You, you probably hear me say that quite often or pray that. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. You know why? Because without God's spirit and grace, we are deaf, dumb, and mute. And blind. We need spiritual sight, spiritual ears to hear. 
the Lord grieves the sinful condition of his people. They became corrupt and created idols of worship made with human hands. They worshiped after the gods of the nations. They didn't honor their father and mother. They, they defiled the Sabbath day and consequently they were exiled into Babylon. But those who were exiled into Babylon, the remnants would receive compassion and mercy of the Lord. But those who remained in Jerusalem would perish. The Israelites were sent to Babylon because they rejected God's law and trusted in other gods. And so God's hand of discipline would be upon them. That's what Isaiah is prophesying here. God's hand of discipline will be upon his people. And the Lord contends contends or faces off with Israel and the nations, arguing that he is God. I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. Besides the Lord, there is no Savior. But God, who is rich in mercy, remembers his promises to Abraham and his offspring Namely, Jesus, as we read in Galatians. He preserves a remnant of Israel whom he sends to Babylon. He will save them, proving that he indeed is Savior. And chapter 43 draws our attention to Israel's or the church's only Savior. Israel or the church's only uh, Savior and foreshadowing the coming of the servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord, who is the Savior of the world. Besides Jesus, there is no Savior. Here in Isaiah 43, we have a beautiful prophecy of what God will do on this side of history, we know what God has done. But in Isaiah's day, they look to the Lord's comfort. In verses 1 to 4, the Lord comforts his people, reminding them that besides him, there is no Savior. He says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. So the God who created the heavens and the earth and all things, the one who formed and fashioned man from the dust of the earth is the same God, the same Lord who formed and fashioned his servant Israel. Notice the creation language there. God created all things ex nihilo, out of nothing. God created Israel out of all the nations of the earth, they were the least of all the nations. They were nothing. They were but a speck. And God loved them. He didn't love them because they were lovable. No, he loved them because of his sovereign purposes. Because he and his providence, he and his sovereignty, he, according to his good wisdom, loved them. And chose to save them. He created Jacob. He formed Israel. And he says, fear not. Fear not. Take comfort. Take comfort. I have redeemed you. 
I have called you by name. You are mine. You are my possession. You belong to me by grace. God made a covenant with the forefather Abraham and God chose Jacob to build a nation. Israel became slaves in Egypt, but God heard their cry, heard their groaning, and remembered his promise to Abraham. And he redeemed them. That is, he freed them from captivity and bondage by payment of ransom. He saved them from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. He made a covenant with them at Sinai. You will be my people and I will be your God. And God's law distinguishes people from the rest of the nations. A holy God gave a holy people his law so that they would be a holy nation. Set apart for him. And the Lord says, fear not. There is only one Savior and he is the Lord our God. I am he. Who can stand against me? At chapter 42, verse 13. Look with me in your Bible there. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. He is the deliverer, the savior. And he comforts them. Fear not. For I have saved you from bondage. You can trust in me when you pass through the waters. I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Daniel's friends found this out when they were in the fiery furnace. Daniel himself was not harmed in the den of lions. The people of God were protected. They were protected when they walked through the Red Sea on dry land. They were protected. The Lord protected them and preserved them. And he says, look with me carefully at, at chapter 43, verse 3 again. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sabah, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. He ransomed Israel. How? How did he deliver them? At the price of the nations, those who kept them in bondage. You see that? They will be judged and you will be saved. In exchange for the people of God, God will judge Egypt, Cush, and the other nations. They will face His wrath and judgment because God is the Savior of His people. God comforts His people with the promise. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 14 to 17. Thus says the Lord, The wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides him. 
You see? Here in chapter 45 explains what's going on in chapter 43. He continues, truly you are God who hides himself. O God of Israel, the Savior, all of them are, but, are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. God will provide an eternal salvation. Be comforted by this truth. It is the Lord's servant who will bring this everlasting salvation and eternal redemption, as the author of Hebrews says. And the Lord comforts his people with the promise. But do they have eyes to see and ears to hear? Well, we know that in the coming of Christ, Christ even quotes Isaiah quite frequently. Oh, you Pharisees and Sadducees, you religious leaders, you have eyes but do not see, you have ears but do not hear. Truly, what Isaiah prophesies is right about you. And so when you see people not responding to the gospel, it's because they are spiritually blind. The only right reason why you respond to the gospel is because God gave you the eyes to see. You see, it's all about His grace. So that no man may boast. Besides the Lord, there is no Savior. Secondly, the Lord gathers His people from the end of the earth. Verse 5, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. There's a future gathering of all God's people, including God's people from among the Gentiles and nations. Surely he's not just talking about the, the exiles from Babylon because he talks about the east, the west, the west, the north, the south. He talks about all the nations to the end of the earth. Notice the future. I, I am with you. I will bring your offspring. I will say, I created for my glory. I formed and made. God will initiate the gathering of his people from the nations, both Jew and Gentile, at a future time when he will send the servant of the Lord. That time comes to pass at the coming of Christ, who is the Son of God. Again, back in Isaiah 45, chapter, or verse 22, he says, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Is he talking only about the nation of Israel? Ethnic Israel? No, he's talking about all the nations. Jew and Gentile. And so often in theological circles and in certain denominations, they distinguish between ethnic Israel and the spiritual Israel, the true Israel of God. We believe the true Israel of God is the people of God made up of both Jew and Gentile. You go back to the Abrahamic promise in Genesis 12, 15 and 17. Who was to be circumcised all who were brought into Abraham's family, even the foreigners who were bought by Abraham. Turn to me and be saved all peoples from all the nations to the end of the earth. 
You, you, do you hear the similarities of what Christ commands the church? Go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witness from, witness from Jerusalem to Samaria, all Judah, and to the end of the earth. The Lord gathers all peoples to himself from the end of the earth. Because besides the Lord, there is no Savior. There's no Savior apart from God the Lord. If there is no Savior, if God is not Savior, then both Jew and Gentile perish in their sin. Listen to this verse, verse 7 of chapter 43. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Sound familiar? Romans 10. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall not be disappointed. The Lord comforts. The Lord will gather his people from the end of the earth. And lastly, the Lord assembles all peoples into his courtroom. This is a wonderful motif, a, a wonderful theme in Isaiah. There are, are portions of Isaiah where God takes people into his courtroom and faces off with them. He says, come, let us reason together. Come into my courtroom and let's have a discussion. And this is one of those cases. Bring out the people who are blind yet have ear eyes. Verse 8. Who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say it is true. I'm going to stop right there. Who brings out the people who are blind yet have eyes? Who are deaf yet have ears? I believe it's referring to God who brings out and assembles them into his courtroom here, which is a very common theme in Isaiah, as I said. And he's saying to them, now you're in my courtroom. Call your witnesses. Call your witnesses. Who's going to save you? Who's going to give good testimony of you? Who's going to save you from judgment and wrath? Call your testimony. Go ahead. You, why don't you bring those uh, idols of wood and stone and gold? Bring those, have, have them sit at, at, the, at the stand here and swear an oath that they can save you. Where were they? Where were the Egyptian gods in Egypt to save you? Where are the gods of the nations to save you? Come on, you're in my courtroom. Show them. Have them speak for you. You placed your hope, Israel. You placed your trust, Israel, in the gods of idols and stone and the gods of the nations. Have them testify on your behalf and see if they will save you in the day of judgment. Can they do the mighty works that I do? Can they do 
the wondrous miracles that I do? Can they spare you from my judgments upon sin that each human being deserves? Where are they now? Where are they now? Were you thinking of that when you were engrossed in them? Were you thinking of that when you were worshiping them and dabbling in them? Dabbling in the religions of the world, dabbling in the false philosophies of the world, dabbling in wokeism, dabbling in progressivism. Were you thinking of that when you were dabbling in all these things? Were you thinking of that when you were dabbling into government as my savior? What the Lord does here, he mocks them. He's mocking them. You want to face off with me? Here we go. Let's go. Come on. Let's talk about it. Besides me, says the Lord, there is no Savior. Verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. You, Israel, the remnant whom I redeemed and called by my name, you are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, because gods are just a figment of one's imagination, one's perversion of idolatry. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed, now past tense, when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver you from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? That last verse, if you're taking notes, Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. He's going back to Moses' song in Deuteronomy. Referring to God's providence. Once God chooses something or ordains something to come to pass, nobody can thwart it. No one can thwart it or turn it into a, in, in a different direction. Friends, this passage of Scripture of God's comfort, of God's gathering of all peoples to, from the end of the earth and God's assembling people into this courtroom ultimately point to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And besides Jesus, there is no Savior. Because Jesus is the eternal, only begotten Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And God the Son saves us from God the Father. And this judgment that is foretold in Isaiah. And God the Son will bring us into that heavenly Jerusalem until the last day when the new heavens and new earth are brought forth at the coming of Christ. And we will know these blessed promises that are full and free in Him foretold in Isaiah. Let us remember what the angel told Joseph. You shall call His name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. He will be the true and faithful servant of the Lord. He will fulfill the law's demands on the people's behalf. And so Jesus 
indeed is the only true Savior who can accomplish and did accomplish what we could not accomplish and do. That is to live by God's word and live. No, we live by faith in the Son of God. And we live because Jesus is a true and righteous one who saves us from our miserable and sinful condition. Question 11, again, or uh, Lord's Day 11. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because he saves us from our sins and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. The Apostle Peter proclaims, and there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. And so how does our Savior, Jesus, specifically save us from our sins? Well, he specifically saves us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because he loved us, because he calls us by name, because he chose us, he laid down his life for us as an atonement for sin, as a sacrifice for sin, because a ransom had to be paid, and his ransom was in blood, his own precious blood, not the blood of the nations, not the, not the judgment of the nations, but the blood of the eternal Son of God, Jesus. And consequently, our sins are not counted against us. Also, Jesus is our only Savior because he saves us from the tyranny of the devil. We are no longer enslaved to sin and the devil and hell. We have been delivered from the kingdom and domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. You are free. You are no longer in bondage and slavery. You are free. That's how you are, you are saved by our only Savior, Jesus. And so he is our only Savior in that he saves us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And that he saves us from the tyranny of the devil. But also he's our only Savior because he saves us from God himself and the wrath to come. Oh, please heed those words. Think about what's being said here. Think about how that changes your attitude about who God is and what God has accomplished for you in Christ. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I deserve condemnation. I deserve judgment and hell because I've offended His holy majesty and righteousness. I have offended my God and my Lord. I deserve wrath. But Jesus... Oh, Jesus, precious Jesus, beautiful Savior, beautiful Savior. And so when you appear before God, you are hidden in Christ by faith. And perhaps you are not of faith. Maybe you are not in faith. What is your Savior this morning? Maybe somebody watching via live stream is trusting in themselves and their own righteousness or hoping in the crossing of fingers or the knocking of wood, which is absolutely nothing. Will you appear, appeal to yourself and your own righteousness 
Who will save you from your sin and hell in the great and awesome day of the Lord? Will you appeal to false gods and unbelief? Where's Buddha? Bring him as a witness. Where's Allah and Muhammad? Bring him as a witness. Where's the false Christ of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness? Bring him as a witness. Have them testify against me and save you. Friends, God the Son, Jesus, saves us. He alone saves us. Lord's Day 11 continues, Do those who look for their salvation and security in saints, in themselves or elsewhere, really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? The answer is no. Although they boast of being His by their actions, they deny the only Savior, Jesus Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in Him all they need for their salvation. It's either all of Him or nothing. Because the moment we start taking away from His saving work is the moment we make Him less than Savior and make Him Nothing. And oh, is that blasphemous. About a month ago, or for about a month, the World Cup soccer tournament began in Qatar. Um, the tournament takes place every four years, and Argentina is one of the powerhouses in the world tournament, and they have a player, Lionel Messi, probably arguably the, the best soccer player in human history. Before one of his games this past weekend, I was listening to a pregame show, and one of the commentators made the remark that Messi has won every major championship in the world, except the World Cup. And so this is his fifth World Cup, happens every four years, it's going to be his last one. And the commentator said... I'm going to paraphrase that if he doesn't win this World Cup, he's going to be on his deathbed, on his deathbed, having this great regret that he couldn't win a World Cup. Think about that for a moment. On his deathbed, I don't know the spiritual state of Messi, I don't know where he's at with the Lord. What I do know is that on the deathbed, you're going to be concerned about a World Cup soccer game when you're about to meet the King and Lord of heaven and earth? I pray that on my lips, and I'm sure, brothers and sisters, this is probably on your lips too, that we can say what John Newton said on his deathbed when he spoke to his friends saying this, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Is that on your heart and mind? 
as you consider your life. Through our only Savior, Jesus, we have entered into a covenant of peace with our God, which was initiated by God himself, and we are as witnesses to this glorious truth, that through faith alone in Christ alone, our Savior alone, we have a relationship with our Father, adopted into his family, and given life and life eternal. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we exalt you, the true God of heaven and earth. We praise your great name, and we come to you with thanksgiving and gratitude in our hearts for your precious word that reveals to us the saving work of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. We thank you, O Lord, for granting your Spirit's blessing to not only allowing us to hear your word, but to receive it with believing hearts and being comforted by your promise. We thank you, O Lord, that you gather your people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, a people bought by the blood of Jesus, the one who gave his life as a ransom for many. We thank you, O Lord, that when we assemble into your courtroom, we testify to the one Christ, the one Lord, the one Savior, Jesus. And we find ourselves hidden in him, Jesus Christ, through faith in his name. He is our advocate. He is our mediator between God and man. And so we thank you, O Lord, that besides Jesus, there is no Savior. Help us, O Lord. Help us, we pray, to have a deeper trust and faith in our Savior as we go about our daily lives and as we seek to minister this gospel to a lost and dark world who has placed their faith in saviors other than the one true God. Use us, O Lord. Use our voices. Use our mouths. Use our hearts and hands to give glory to your name and point people to the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.